Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, today we're talking about man and God. And, you know, we have to explore the question, why do people believe in God? And for most people in the world, the answer seems obvious because it's self-evident that God exists. But from the point of view of the believer, the really puzzling question is how anyone could not believe. Uh, You know, there was once a time in prehistory of our species when nobody believed in a God of any sort. And our evolutionary ancestors were all atheists. But somewhere along the way, they found religion. So, you know, we're, we're back to our original question. Why do people believe in God? Well, as a common practice in evolutionary science, um, between uh, uh, ultimate and proximate causes, an ultimate cause explains how a behavior evolved in the first place. So, while a, a proximate cause outlines the conditions in which the evolved behavior will be performed. Now, I know I'm not trying to talk over your head here, but you know, consider, for example, uh, birds flying south for the winter. The ultimate cause of bird migration is the increase in survival and reproduction experienced by those who seasonally moved into warmer climates where food was plentiful. In context, the, the, the proximate cause is the decrease in daylight hours serving as a trigger that it's time to head south. But religious belief of some sort is nearly universally uh, feature of humanity. So there's uh, quite likely some evolutionary ultimate cause that also explains in it. At the same time, not all people are religious. And furthermore, the forms of belief, as a matter of fact, probably the vast majority of people are not religious. And furthermore, the forms of belief among the religious range widely. So we need to understand the proximate causes for variation. And so, you know, fully modern humans basically arrived on the scene about a quarter million years ago and until quite recently they all lived in the hunter-gatherer lifestyles and so they didn't have the grocery store so they had to go out and hunt for the food and that's three meals a day and boy that can be a full-time job right there you know and in these primitive societies the men hunted fished or scavenged for meat while the women gathered fruits roots and vegetables and and they lived in small groups most of the time around 100 150 people cuz this was the largest population that the surrounding terrain would be able to support uh, if they lived in larger uh, numbers basically the terrain would have to be very 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 rich in uh, in live and um, live animals and uh, also uh, fruitation, you know, and vegetables. Still, you know, these groups were very much uh, larger than the societies of the primate species, which tend to number just a few dozen. So humans, you know, this they apply the sense of agency to interpreting social interactions. And that's to say, we not only believe we have agency, but we also believe others have agency as well. And we judge the action of others depending on whether we deem them to be intentional or not. And so we can easily forgive the person who accidentally steps on our foot. But we really need an explanation for an apology if someone purposely does something to hurt us. 
And so, um, you know, in fact, we're rather hypersensitive about other people uh, inferring that uh, if they hurt us, then we tend to be uh, very unforgiving in many ways. Now, in this sense, what religion has brought just from an institutional perspective is a sense of values of what's right and wrong, of how to treat each other, of how to talk to each other, each other, how to live together, how to respect each other. Religion and, and, and faith has brought in a, a relationship with each other because as we have grown as, as a race of people, the human race, as we have expanded, we've begun crowding each other into each other's space. And if you think about 2,000 years ago or greater than 2,000 years ago, maybe 5,000, we as a society started to blend together. And blending together calls for learned behaviors as to how to socialize with one another. Religion has played a very strong role through the Old Testament, if you look at it, and I'm coming from a Christian perspective, through the Old Testament, it's basically outlined, hey, if you're going to live together, this is how you do it. And the rules is God is a very strict uh, God, one of sacrifice, sacrificing of animals, sacrificing of your personal uh, possessions, of your well-being, of your time. It calls for a lot of sacrifice for each other. And so no longer are we living in a survival mode, but we're learning to live as people together and living for other people in a sense that we're not just providing for our families, but we're providing for our society and our lives as a whole. And that spirituality has, has brought about a sense of God and a sense of needing God and that we're not fully in charge anymore. We're not hunter-gatherers anymore. Now we're living for a bigger purpose in a society where there's buildings, where there's uh, farms, where, where we're all trying to help each other. And that, in that sense, we're giving to each other as in a relationship from a God perspective to uh, our friends and to our, our family. And so that is coming as a prelude to where uh, God and man have formed a relationship, especially over the last uh, uh, thousands of years, we've had to become more sensitive and hypersensitive of others, just because as human beings, we've, we've possessed the planet, basically. You know, if you think that intelligent human beings uh, living in modern society are, are free of, uh, you know... Uh, the nonsense they would think of having a God, you need to ask yourself, have you ever uh, begged your, your car to start on a cold winter morning? Have you ever complained that, that your computer has a mind of its own because it doesn't behave the way you want it to? We tend to automatically detect agency in, in, in inanimate objects whenever the situation is unpredictable and out of control. Well, other people have turned to God and the belief in God and the belief of something supernatural can create alternate uh, solutions to problems that we pray to God and maybe we catch a fish. We pray to God and maybe uh, our car starts. We pray to God and maybe a relationship comes back together in a way that we never anticipated. We pray to God and maybe we get better from being sick. You know, there is a sense of giving of ourselves, and when we give of our spirit, we come we become more human, and that means we become more humble. That becomes means we become more in tune with each other, which is probably what the intention of our creation has always been, and that is to become more in tune with each other and give to each other and learn to be safe with each other. 
you know, humans uh, uh, gradually, about 15,000 years ago, uh, began adopting agriculture. But, but at first, humans domesticated a few animals and then tended gardens to supplement their hunting. But eventually, uh, a few societies around the world shifted solely to farming and herding. And so agriculture can support many more people per acre of land compared to hunting and gathering. You know, but this also became as a cost, uh, came with a cost. As long as our group sizes are small, we had the psychological mechanisms to deal effectively with members in our community. But if you live in the day in and day out with the same 150 people, you get to know them really well. But if your numbers are in the thousands or ten thousands, most of the people you interact with on a daily basis are strangers. Thus was life in the first cities that arose thanks to food surpluses and I, arc, uh, agriculture. So, you know, we see cultural evolution taking place. Human existence depends on cooperation. And when we live in small groups, cheaters are punished by other members. And then they quickly learn that they have to get along. But in, in anonymous societies, it's easy to take advantage of others as there's no way for the rest of the group to punish those who take advantage of the system. So, you know, the solution back then was to create ever watchful gods who will punish and cheat uh, uh, cheaters for us. Thus, organized religion grew hand in hand with the rise of city and state. And, and, and so as we fast forward, uh, the, people living in technologically advanced society driven by science that tells us that the world moves according to the laws of physics, not the whims and spirits of deities. Nevertheless, religious belief in one or more gods that watch over our actions and judge us accordingly is very common. And so religious belief has dropped precipitously over the last century, and here we need to look at the causes. You know, the, the causes of religious belief is three types. There's cognitive, which means it's our thought process. There's motivational, which means our emotions are behind it. That means we have a passion for something. And then there's societal. Um, and society, obviously, is that's about societal. But the cognitive factor is um, people who tend to act according to the reason rather than the intuition are also less likely to believe in God. You know, perhaps related, we can see a tendency for people who are higher in intelligence to hold agnostic and atheist beliefs. In contrast, people who are uh, high in what's commonly called emotional intelligence, they have the ability to discern emotions and motives of others. They also tend to be more religious. And of course, it's exactly this ability to read others' minds that led to the rise of religious belief in the first place hundreds of thousands of years ago in uh, the African savanna. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament at the Mosaic laws, Moses' laws, the laws that were determined by Moses, and, 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 and basically go through that process of understanding, uh, you're going to find that that was the first grasp that the Bible took from a God's perspective of how we should be relating to one another, the Ten Commandments, the things that we should and should not be doing. But there were also several other laws that were developed by Moses through God and basically and placed that on the Israelites and so that, that left Egypt with him. And so what I'm trying to get to is there's motivational reasons for religious belief. You know, people who are uh, socially isolated tend to have more religious faith, 
allowing them to feel they're not truly alone. And people facing death are likely uh, to express faith in God and in an afterlife. And so, that, that you know, the, furthermore, faith in God increases when situations become uncontrollable in the case of natural disasters. So, believing that God has a plan helps people regain some sense of control and uh, acceptance. Another motivational factor uh, for faith is self-enhancement. If you live in a society where religion is prized, it's not your best interest to say you believe whether you truly do or not. I'm sure there are plenty of doubters in the pews on Sunday services. I even, you know, there's even ministers that minister that do not even believe in what they do, but they can't do anything else that would pay them. And so... um, you know, it's most uncommon to hear stories of priests and pastors who've lost their faith but continue to preach because it's the only way they can do that. Now, you know, there's also societal factors that influence the degree of religious belief within societies. And as a general rule, religious belief is considerably lower in developed countries compared with the underdeveloped world. For instance, Japan has one of the highest standards of living in the world, but only 4% of its population claims to be religious. Traditionally, Japan was a Buddhist country, and religion played an important role in the daily lives of the Japanese after World War II, and a similar trend has occurred in Western Europe, which many uh, social scientists now characterize as post-Christian. So, you know, here in the United States, it's, uh, it's basically a high standard of living and a high religiosity uh, that's out there. And uh, there's also uh, uh, Western culture and Japan have universal health care and extensive social safe nets as opposed to the U.S. And, and the Japanese and Europeans know their governments will come to their aid in their hour of need. But the laissez-faire attitudes of American society make people's future less certain and the belief that a benevolent God is more attractive. And although many people in industrialized societies have abandoned traditional organized religion, lots of them still confess to some sort of spiritual belief, such as a life force or a divine spirit that pervades nature and humanity. And as societies have become more affluent and egalitarian, perhaps people perceive less need for a benevolent God to keep watch over us. Organized religion may no longer be needed in such societies. And quite frankly, if you look at churches today, one of the biggest concerns is the universality of the religions. They've, they've divested themselves from uh, from. Um, religious doctrine and moved more to a universal flavor of accepting people of all cultures, of all backgrounds, of all uh, sexual preferences, of all value systems and saying God still forgives you, God will always forgive you. And uh, and in the sense, you know, if you're a Christian, that is true and that's what you believe, that we all are flawed and we all have things that we should not be doing that we do do. But the bottom line is... Uh, Faith has offered a harbor of safe. Uh, faith has offered a harbor where we're loved, where no one else loves us. Faith is a place that gives us a sense of trusting that there is a better life out there. And so it plays a major purpose in being human. Once again, you know, Neanderthals did not necessarily need to have faith because Neanderthals were too busy trying to hunt and gather, you know. So, we as humans, as we've become more social and as, we, as we've as we become more of a group, 
we have discovered a spiritual side of us and a sense that there's God. I know in my life, believe me, there have been issues that I could have never solved on my own. And just a prayer, just a prayer, just praying to God and and having a steady sense of, of wanting that in my life has caused things to happen in my life that I could have never done on my own. True miracles, true, true miracles. And, and so in a sense, God is an evolutionary process and we are at an evolutionary process of having to come to terms with God and man and our relationship of having God of some kind. I'm not advocating just Christianity, but I'm saying that we as people are going to be awful lonely in this world if we do not have a sense of belief in something beyond us because our spirit lives within us and we are humans living a a soul living a human life that means we have a soul and we're safe enough to explore that soul and what that soul can give us we're smart enough now to be able to live more within the purpose of our soul rather than trying to survive and that's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing, but it calls for a sense of having a sense of connectedness beyond us. And that is spirituality. That is a sense of God looking out for us, having a purpose for us. And that all the bad things that happen to us happen for a reason. And it's all about how do we learn from it rather than am I a failure? Um, and so th- these are important things to think about as we walk through this show. All right. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk about the benefits of having a God in our life. And then we'll talk about uh, the uh, psychology and the pairing of Christianity. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? 
The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about man and God. We're talking about basically why do we need religion? Why do we need God in our life? You know, some psychologists have characterized religious beliefs as pathological, you know, seeing religion as a malignant social force that encourages irrational thoughts and ritualistic behaviors. Of course, psychologists' doubts and and those countless others throughout history haven't curtailed religion's powerful hold on people. I mean, religion, if you look at the history of man, has survived and thrived for more than 100,000 years, and it exists in every culture with more than 85% of the world's population embracing some sort of religious belief, some sort. That doesn't mean they're fully invested in the thought. That doesn't mean they fully believe in it. Uh, it's, it's usually more of a try rather or a floating target, depending on how much they're struggling in their life. You know, researchers who study the psychology and the neuroscience of religion are helping to explain a lot of beliefs, uh, why they are so enduring, and they're finding that religion may in fact be a byproduct of the way our brains work, growing from cognitive tendencies to greater order from chaos. And, uh, you know, uh, we believe um, the world around us was created for our use, and religion has survived, and they surmise because it helped us from increasing larger social groups held together by by common beliefs. And, And it, you know, we are predisposed to believe. There's no no one cognitive tendency that undergirds uh, all of our religious belief. It's it's really our basic garden variety cognitions that provide the impetus for religious beliefs. And a common thread to those cognitions is the way they lead us to see the world as a place with an intentional design created by someone or something. Um, you know, like young kids tend to believe that even uh, trivial aspects of the natural world were created with purpose according to a series of studies uh, and, and by uh, Boston University psychologist Deborah uh, Clayman. And if you ask children why a group of rocks are pointy, for example, they say something like, it's so that animals won't sit on them and break them. But if you ask them why rivers exist, they say it's so we can go fishing. You know, adults also tend to search for meaning, particularly during times of uncertainty. And so, you know, looking at, at that sense of it, that it suggests that people are, are primed to see signs and patterns in the world around them. And people also have a bias for believing in the supernatural. You know, children as young as three attribute supernatural abilities to uh, an immortality to God, even if they've never been taught about God. And they tell elaborate stories about their lives before they were born. Uh, And and, and basically, uh, that's called a pre-life. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, they they begin to believe in superheroes. And that becomes an obsession for many of them because that belief in superheroes means they believe in the supernatural, which is training them to believe in the sense of God. Now, I am not talking as a non-Christian because I am a Christian. I'm just trying to come around to the idea that we all come to a sense of faith 
in a different direction. We all come to it in, from another perspective. Some people are atheists, some people don't believe, but others do, and a vast majority of people do have a sense of spirituality and knowing that there's something beyond us. We're spirits living a human life. Our souls are living a human life. Some people just live a human life and never have passion, never grab anything attainable, never do hard. They just exist. And people that do that are wasting their life and they're not evolving the human spirit and they're not moving the ball forward. You know, the other benefits uh, in... uh, Most researchers don't believe that cognitive tendencies that bias us towards religious belief evolve specifically for thinking about religion. Rather, they likely served for adaptive purposes because people are quick to believe that someone or something is behind even the most benign experiences. And they may may perceive the, the sound of wind rustling leaves as a potential predator. And in evolutionary terms, it was probably better for us to mistakenly assume that the wind was a lion than to ignore the rustling and risk death. But this tendency also set us up to believe in an omnipresent, godlike concept. And taken together, it's easy to see how these cognitive tendencies could allow our minds to create religions built on the idea of supernatural beings that watched over our lives. Now, let's click over from a Christian perspective to the New Testament. If you look at the New Testament, the New Testament is an answer to a lot of what took place in the Old Testament. It's bringing to life what the Old Testament taught us, but it's also giving us a sense of forgiveness, and that's by Christ dying on the cross. Now we don't have to sacrifice animals, and uh, our sins are all forgiven. And so what that allows us to do is bring to life the value systems taught in the Old Testament through Jesus being an example of how humans should live their lives. And what was interesting is the Catholic Church uh, created um, saints in order to provide examples of different types of people that lived Christian lives, not making them Christ-like, but making them a sense of rising higher than uh, what well, what uh, most people do by framing up the way that they live, like St. Francis, for instance, giving away everything, uh, living with the poor, living day to day, just vesting in, in Christ and allowing him to live, and then giving to other people by helping and and, and providing a sense of, of, of the spiritual being. Uh, and a spiritual leadership um, by having to live not by what we have, but what we do. And so, you know, all I'm trying to say is, is that when uh, Christianity was formed, it tried to give us a teachable religion by providing uh, human examples because people didn't read. And so those human examples were the saints. And that's how the Catholic Church evolved more quickly because it was given you you had real examples of how to live life it wasn't just uh trying to uh uh tell everyone to live just like christ it was providing those examples for people to follow because they did not have the education and then naturally education has worked its way out of religion uh, because religion is where 
the ministries and and the people that did uh, you know that went to different countries and taught people about religion uh, basically were able to those ministries were able to educate people and so that's where the rarest form of education has come from and that's why in the United States and in every other country they've str- they've uh, struggled to divide uh, religion from school systems and, and you know I'm not necessarily in agreement to, to that not that the school is going to be the best place uh, for us to live uh, and learn about spirituality but it is a place that can offer a sense of social values there there's many ways to go about doing that though it doesn't have to come from a faith-based perspective but you know uh, the idea that got plenty of attention around several years ago that there is uh, a God spot in the brain where religious thoughts and feelings arise ha- has largely been rejected but uh, you know we as human are very lonely and we need uh, sometimes we don't have people in our lives sometimes we don't have the kind of trust that we need to operate with or the sense of faith many people live in fear and where fear enters faith leaves and that's why people that lived in cultures where they could be killed by animals because they lived out in the middle of the woods oftentimes they had to live in fear not faith and when we live in faith fear leaves because faith fills us and it gives us a sense of safety. It gives us a sense of now we can focus on purpose rather than survival. And this is a very important thing to contemplate as once again, we have gradually evolved into human beings. We have gradually taken on a greater purpose for our lives because we have room for it. And our prefrontal cortex can now operate safely. And if you look at all over the world, the countries that are not safe are not evolving. They have a hard time dealing with technology. They have a hard time. They're not going to invent how to go to Mars. They're not going to invent the next form of clean energy. They're not going to invent a whole lot of things that this world needs because they're so worried about just survival. And so the cultures that worry about survival uh, are also a little bit more faith-based because they have to gather together to help each other work. And so they tend to migrate into the churches. Now, as we become safer, we evolve as people. We have an opportunity to develop deeper thinking, but we also have an opportunity to develop deeper spiritually. Some people go more into thinking. Other people go into more into spirituality, and some people stay in the middle. But the bottom line is we have to mix that as people. We can evolve as creatures with God and with ourselves in our brains with the gifts that we've been given and develop a passionate life that can be purposeful and can give to others all over the world. You know, religion may serve another key purpose because it allows people to live in large corporate societies. And in fact, the use of religion as a social tool may largely explain its staying power uh, uh, cross-culturally. You know, religion is one of the big ways that human societies have hit on as a solution to induce unrelated individuals to be nice to each other. You know, in particular, religion encourages people to be more charitable by promoting belief in the supernatural agent. And, and, uh, and it also is uh, with thoughts of God by having them unscramble sentences containing the words such as divine, spirit, and God. You know, the one word that you will never find in any Bible in the world is lucky. Never. 
you know, if you ask another group of participants to unscramble uh, religiously neutral words, uh, the participants would then decide how much uh, to keep and how much to give. You know, the deal is religion, in a sense, outsources social monitoring to a supernatural agent. And if you believe in the monitoring of God, even if no one was watching you, you still have to be pro-social because God is watching you. The idea that religion involved uh, to benefit larger social communities also meshes with the theoretical work uh, um, of sense of, of having to feel safe. And that means people that are living in a dangerous society where there's guns and there's there's violence and all that kind of stuff, if they believe in God, then what they're trying to do is believe that their life is going to be looked after by God. That allows them to feel safer and, and feel like they can focus more on their survival. And it also provides uh, lesser of a target for them to be a subject of violence if they're living a good life and they're giving to other people. You know, uh, a lot of distrust will cause us to think like animals, to think like reptiles, and to live in fear. All right, now we're going to look at the idea of psychology and Christianity and how they pair up and how they have worked together over time. You know, psychology has its roots in, uh, in, in uh, ancient philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato. And those were all Greeks, by the way. None of these men were worshipers of the true living God. And at best, they believed in a God that was not involved in the affairs of men. And at worst, they worshiped multiple gods. Modern psychology has brought basically Sigmund Freud in the last uh, late 19th century. Freud certainly wasn't a godly man. He was obsessed with sex. And I've been to his office, to tell you the truth. And, and uh, he has had... All these little sexual African figures, these little wooden African figures of, of uh, uh, penises and, and men with penises and women that are pregnant and women with their boobs. And I mean, he had all kinds of sex objects in his office all over the place. Now, the office that I went to was uh, Anna Freud, which is his daughter's house where he died in England, in London, England. And that is a great example because uh, she basically moved his office into uh, there, into that home. His original rugs, his original little figures, his original books, all of that is in that her home is a museum in London. And it's a great museum, by the way, if you should ever uh, have any interest in psychology whatsoever. It gives you a real perspective on how he lived and how he operated as a psychologist. You know, um, here's the point. If a root is bad, then the tree has to be bad. Jesus said that very plainly in Matthew 7, 17, and 18. You know, uh, basically the root of psychology, in a sense, is viewed as bad. But, you know, I'm amazed by the acceptance of psychology in society, especially in church. Many churches and ministries have uh, resident psychologists on staff. And, and this isn't the approach that Jesus took, but he met the needs, all the needs of the people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe personally he intends his church to do the same thing. They don't have to depart and go to the world of their emotional needs met. They should bring them to Jesus. You know, I, I know many Christians are appalled, um, but 
aren't there Christian psychologists? Well, yeah, I'm one. I, I'm a marriage family therapist, but I believe in, in God and I operate with that. Certainly, uh, there are a lot of Christian uh, psychologists and therapists around the world. I have some friends who are very successful psychologists, but they'll be the first to admit that psychology and Chris- Christianity don't offer the same answers to our problems. Well, you know what's interesting? Uh, working on marriage, you can basically do a lot of work around the vows. You know, cherish your wife. That's what every woman measures a sense of what she's looking for in a relationship. Am I being treasured? Am I the center of your life? Am I, you know, am I your best friend? Do you feel like you're so lucky to be with me? You know, and if you're not cherishing me, who are you cherishing? Because during the honeymoon phase, you were doing a real good job of cherishing me, but now you're not. Well, that's why it's in the vows, guys. That's why it's in a religious vow. What what do men want? They want respect. They want to feel respected. They want to feel like they're heard. If a woman respects them, then they feel as if they are a man. If a woman doesn't hear them and they shut them down and they don't want to listen to them, they don't want to respect them, they feel demasculated. So, once again, these these are part of our vows to each other. You know, if you work basically around Christian values in therapy, you're going to do great therapy. And that doesn't mean you're dictating or you're telling some other people how to live. It's teaching them how to use what's in the Bible, one of the greatest one of the greatest books ever to be written, the greatest book ever to be written. It has all the answers to life, and it's in there. And if we work from that, and we believe in God operating in our life, and we give all of our life to God as the purpose of living through God and trying to be in, uh, live in, in Jesus' way, we're going to come to some great conclusions with our life, and it's going to have more uh, walking room than it has if we're living without a God. There's a few major tenets of psychology that I believe are incompatible with Christianity, that uh, we are products of our environment. Therefore, we're not responsible or accountable for our actions, and and this leads to placing blame for our actions on anything else but us, making us victims, that self-esteem is paramount. You know, these are not good ways to live when we live like that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about psychology and Christianity. I will get off a pulpit and try to get back down to earth uh, more about how God operates within man and how man interrelates with God. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. 
show and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. I've taken on this magnanimously difficult topic of God and man, man and God. You know, first, environment is not the determining factor in who we are and what we do. And this is another reason why people do believe in God. You know, if you look at Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, the word of God shows us that our thoughts are what make us the way we are. Environment has some influence on our thoughts, but it is totally wrong to say you're the way you are because of what has happened to you. You know, if that were true, then everyone who has been through negative experiences would have the same problems, but that's not so. You can find people with the same genetic makeup and environment who respond totally different to the same situation. You know, we always have the choice of becoming bitter or better. You know, God gave us that choice. You know, uh, God uh, said the choice is ours. And what is simple, uh, what's simple is life or death. It's a no-brainer. But just in case anyone isn't sure which to choose, the Lord gave the answer to this quiz. Choose life, he said. We are not doomed to be victims because of past experiences. We can be born again. We can become brand new people through Christ. And psychology doesn't always offer that. It doesn't offer that, period. You know, second, you know, since our conditions are product of how we choose to react to our environment, we can't blame others for our problems. Taking responsibility for our action is the big difference between a true Christian and psychology. Psychology has influenced our society to a great degree that no one is held accountable for their actions. Even murderers are being acquitted because it's not their fault. They, they were abused as children or whatever, and that's stupid. Some of us have had problems that others haven't, but still God holds us accountable for our own actions regardless of what has happened to us. And believe me, I've been through some deep, dark places, and uh, God was always there. God was always there, and I knew he was there. Even when it was bad, even when things were not going my way, I knew that God was trying to wake me up and say, hey, you need to change your ways. You need to change how you think and you need to change what you're doing and and start walking that walk. And as you walk that walk, guess what? Doors open up, the life changes, great things happen. You know, the night, and I'm not trying to preach, guys, but the night before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples not to let their hearts be troubled, but to be of good cheer. 
those who hold to the belief that our environment is a determining factor in our emotions and actions would criticize Jesus for telling his disciples to do something that they were incapable of doing. But they had a choice, and the Lord told us to rejoice in the Lord, always. We can choose to go against pressures of our environment, you know. It's very important. There's much, much more uh, to harnessing our emotions. You know, we simply can use the Bible to help us understand what harnessing our emotions can do and living as adults. And that means to stop living at at the end of our sleeve. You know, we need to be more thoughtful and also more purposeful with our emotions. Let your thoughts be motivated. Find an emotion that will motivate your thought rather than living by your emotions and you will achieve great things in life. If you wanna do hard, find emotions that will guide you through doing the hard thing. You know, uh, I remember in graduate school and in my doctorate, my purpose for going to class was only one thing, and that was to help other people. It was to find tools to help other people. That was the only reason I went to class, was to help other people, and I knew that in the end, my life, my family would also benefit from that. And it has. And it's so many things have come from that, but it wasn't about me. It's about you. It's not about me. And if you can call your life not about me, then you're going to join the thought process of what it takes to connect with God. You know, it's uh, within every person is an unborn possibility of limitless growth. And ours is the privilege of giving birth to it. And, and Paul obviously had this in mind when he referred to the mystery hidden for the ages of generations, which is Christ in you. The hope and glory, and that's in Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Studies of God have, have abounded in all the religions of the world, but most of which have dealt with the intellectual construction of being out there. And we have been subtly conditioned by artist visualizations such as Michelangelo's classic Fresnos on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, which is beautiful in the Vatican City. I've seen it twice in a massive figure of a man representing the Almighty reaches down to touch the man. And it's a beautiful work of art, but not the best example of man's attempt to define the indefinable. You know, through the ages of man's quest for truth and reality, There has appeared here and there a lone figure who caught the idea of the mystery of God in man. Uh, um, There there is the the forerunner was um, Akhenaten. In the, in the, uh, he was a king of Europe in 13, uh, not Europe, Egypt, in 1379 to 1362 BC. And he was a forerunner of the idea. He, he, he is probably the first awareness that God is one and man is that one. And among the Greek philosophers, Plotonius stands out as a forerunner of a new insight of truth. He caught the idea of a cosmic force that is both imminent and transcendent in life, that each being contains in itself the whole intelligible world. Therefore, all is everyone. Each of us is and all is each. He saw man in the very center of the universe, which rushes and streams and pours into him from all sides while he stands quietly. And quite frankly, the term every man, every man came from that concept. And every man means that every man has purpose. Every man has meaning. Every man is important. And that means that we all need to live 
as God would want us to live. You know, it, 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 God's not in you like a raisin roll, but, but, but it's like an ocean is with a wave. You know, the wave is nothing more nor less than the ocean formed in the shadow of a wave. And, and you are nothing, uh, the mystery of God in man, more or less, than God expresses in you. So, you know, uh, it, this is fundamental for all people. The phenomenon displayed by uncommon men and women are the erratic manifestation of higher state of consciousness that is a natural possession of man in the future. But once again, we have to be safe with each other to be able to reach in and grab that spirituality. You know, long before we took our first breath, our Creator showed Himself to be a great giver of everything a man or woman could ever ask for. And today, we are His sons and daughters. He still wants to give to us and desires of our heart, but he is not going to force himself on us. We have to seek him. Every good gift and every perfect gift may come our way. Um, that's, I believe, in James 1.17, and I don't think I quoted it quite properly. When we say that the best things in life are free, it's a way of acknowledging that when God gives life and friendship and laughter, he is showing that no one can give a better gift than he can. Yet, at his best offer, he is so priceless and so perfectly suited to our needs and happiness. Many think it's too good to be true. You know, the, the Bible is the most quoted of all books, and it describes a wonderfully mysterious gift that goes far beyond anything that we've ever received. And when unwrapped, it includes a peace of mind, acceptance, forgiveness, adoption into the family of heaven, everlasting life. But does God offer to give us the desires of our heart as rewarded uh, for good living? Not according to the Bible. It refers to the spiritual package as a salvation and calls it the gift of God. You know, in, in most areas of life, we work hard to earn respect and the right to be trusted and promoted. But God's perfect gift of salvation is different. It comes not by the merit, but by the mercy. Not by the trying, but by the trusting. Not by the working, but by the resting. You know, it, it, by grace, you've been given, you've been saved uh, uh, through faith and not, uh, of, uh, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and this comes from Paul, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's in Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9. You know, it, long before wise men brought gifts to Bethlehem manger, our creator gave us the gift of choice, knowing that love must be voluntarily to be meaningful. And, and he uh, gave us the freedom to accept and reject him. And from the beginning, however, our first parents chose to walk away from him instead of leaving him in the rebellion. And he revealed a plan of rescue whereby innocent victims would die on behalf of the guilty. So, you know, God packages his belief in a, a gift in thousands of years of fulfilled predictions, widely observed miracles, and breathtaking rescues. And we, as people, have to recognize when those ha things happen outside of our control. You know, the problem with being atheists is that many atheists have the following uh, attitude. I was, uh, perhaps subconsciously, I was born into a religious family. I was wise enough to see the error in religion. Furthermore, I'm very intelligent. Thus, I know that the belief in God and religion is irrational, superstitious, and unscientific. I'm, I'm so glad that I was able to see the light and extricate myself from idi idiocracy. Now, listen, guys, you have to understand something. 
If you're ever going to have trust in your life, you have to have faith to lead to trust because you have to act like you trust until you get there. The other thing is if you're going to learn forgiveness, you have to learn how to challenge a person's process in making a mistake rather than their outcome and criticizing them. That's too easy. We have to challenge the process. What and how made you what and how did you what what made you want to do that and how did you decide to do that? That's where forgiveness comes from. Why are these things necessary? Where they're necessary for us to live together, for us to have relationships, for us to learn how to trust each other because all relationships are based on trust where love grows. If you attack trust in any relationship, you're attacking the relationship itself. Very important for all of us to understand that. You know, condescending attitudes toward non-atheists and religious people, you know, that's not a good idea. We need to embrace them. We need to respect them. And we need to, uh, if you, you're a person of faith, we, we need to see it as a belief system. And we need to embrace that they go from a more scientific perspective than we do. But they come from a respectful perspective. You know, uh, viewing atheism as perpetually uh, uh, an unadulterated belief system immune to ideology, you know, uh, I've, re- I've heard that atheism is not dogmatic many, many times. It's nothing more than a lack of belief in God or supernatural beings. And depending on where a person's life is and how much pain they're going through and, and what they are, what their walk in life is, depends on how close they're going to get to be with God. You know, Jesus migrated towards the poor, migrated towards the people that could not help themselves, migrated towards the people that were in great pain, physical, mental, spiritual, whatever it was, that is where he dedicated his life and everything else was not important to him. And so what's important to understand is that when people are in pain, that's when they come closer to God. And the bigger they develop that experience, the more they're resilient in dealing with pain in their life. Because God helps us through that. That's where God really, the rubber meets the road, when we're in spiritual, mental, or, 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 or physical pain. You know, uh, the notion that atheism is, is uh, you know, uh, a, a panacea. You know, yeah, Wars have raged for centuries over religious disputes or clashes between religious groups. Yes, there have been enormous bigots and and people that are not really Christian pretending to be Christian or doing things in a Christian way, but they're not really Christian. But, you know, there's no perfect. There is no perfect, and there's plenty of room to criticize. It's much greater for us to live in grace and to recognize the good in other people. Because when we're willing to do that, we are willing to live a much better life. All right, we're going to wrap this thing up. That's our show. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I'd love to hear from you. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net. Now remember, if there is a God, he has to be a man because women wouldn't screw things up this bad. That's watered down George Carlin, by the way. Now, if you lived on the border of Mexico, you might find Jesus in the trunk of your car. And remember, God's to-do list. Create humans, drown most of them, favor only one group, has his son killed for three days, and forgive everyone after. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. 
Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 